All right, everyone, thank you so much for joining me tonight for Destined for Torah. Tonight, the title is Pride, Prejudice, and Torah. And as we get started here, I'd like to take a moment to introduce you to my two books. I have two published books. First one is called the first one, actually, the, uh, the first one is called The Final Countdown, 321 Countdown to Your Destiny. And the second book is called Earth, Wind, Fire, and a Still Small Voice, subtitled How to Hear the Voice of God. Both of these books are available on my website at www.destinedfortorah.com. Again, that's destinedfortorah.com. And I just want to, again, I just want to welcome you all tonight. Thank you all so much for joining us tonight. Uh, tonight, the title is Pride, Prejudice, and Torah. I stole part of that title from the book, Pride and Prejudice. So tonight is Monday, December 21st at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You know, some of you may be familiar with the novel Pride and Prejudice. It's an 1813 novel of manners, manners written by Jane Austen. And the, the novel follows the character development of certain figures and, and shows how the character is refined throughout the novel. Tonight, we are going to talk about the character refinement that took place in Joseph, as well as in Judah. And one thing that you learn as you read God's Word, and as you really zero in on the various correct characters in God's Word, you will see how God refines them and how God molds them into His image. And sometimes God will use conflict in very stressful situations to refine us and to mold us into His image. Amen? So tonight, I'm going to introduce you to the character development of Joseph, who became Viceroy over Egypt, as we learned about last week. And we'll learn tonight, we're going to also going to focus in on his brother Judah. And we're going to really spend some time analyzing the dialogue between Joseph and Judah. Joseph was the 11th son of Jacob. And Judah was the fourth son of Jacob. And, you, and you're going to see you're going to see the hasty judgments, the pride, the prejudice. You're going to see the character flaws. You're going to see the, the character development. You're going to see the refinement that takes place. And you're going to see what, what takes place within the interaction of Joseph and Judah that sets the precedent for Israel in all future generations. Amen. You know, some of you may know the, the line that I call the, the, the destined Torah zone. And I describe how everything that takes place in the lives of biblical figures sets the precedent for what will take place in their generations. Amen? So nothing that you read about in God's Word is there just to fill the pages of a book. Everything that takes place in God's Word and everything that's been written under the unction of the Holy Spirit is written in God's Word because it tells us what's going to happen in the future. Amen? And so... You, if you study the books of Kings, you study through the books of all the prophets in the Bible, and even through the Gospels and, and, and even the book of Acts, you're going to see this contention that's taken place, and it's consistent with what we're going to study tonight. If you can really understand the interaction between Joseph and Judah, between two brothers, this will really help you understand what takes place throughout the Bible. Amen? So you can't, you can't study the Bible, you can't study the prophets, you can't study the New Testament, you can't really begin to understand what's taking place in the books of the Bible without really having a really strong foundation in the book of Genesis. Amen? So let's go, let's go ahead and get started here. We're going to actually begin with a word of prayer, and I'd like to begin with a Hebrew blessing, first in English, then in Hebrew. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with thy commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of the Torah. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kiddishanu BeMitzvotav Vetzibanu LaAsok BeDivrei Torah. Amen. And Heavenly Father, I just ask that you take control over this meeting tonight. Holy Spirit, I invite you to be our teacher tonight. Lord, I ask you to, to refine our character, to do a work within us, Lord God. And Lord, I just ask you Lord God, to bring us into the fullness of our high call, our highest calling in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you raise up all your people on the line tonight to become your servants, to become your prophets in these end of days. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. So let's go ahead and get started. Tonight's Parsha, and this is the second to last Parsha in the book of Genesis. Parsha means portion. And uh, this week's Parsha is Parsha by Igash. And this is one of the most dramatic 
portions in the entire Bible. I mean, th th there is more going on here than than any TV soap opera. There's so much going on here. There, there are so many characters. There are so many plots taking place. Uh, there are so many twists and turns in, in this book, and especially in this Torah portion. And really, the, the more you dig into this portion, I think the more you're going to become engrossed in God's Word. And really, what you read in this Torah portion really sets the precedent for what will take place in all future generations of Israel. Now, in these last three weeks, two weeks ago, we were in Parsha Vayishev, last week we were in Parsha Miketz, and today we are in Parsha Vayigash, which is the Torah portion for this week, beginning, starting on Saturday of this week. And this Torah, actually, sorry, sorry, starting on Sunday. This, these three Torah portions are, are all read during the time of Hanukkah, and we just completed the eight-day Feast of Hanukkah just a few days ago. And during the Feast of Hanukkah, and around the Feast of Hanukkah, we, we read these Torah, these three Torah portions, Vahishev, Miketz, and Vayigash. And these three Torah parshiot, these three Torah portions, relate to the story of Joseph and his brothers. And again, these three Torah portions are read during the Feast of Hanukkah. And this is all orchestrated through divine providence. God has orchestrated that we study these Torah portions during the Feast of Hanukkah. And so we are in the third Torah portion of this series on the life of Joseph. And these, these events and these, these Torah readings and even the Feast of Hanukkah are all intertwined and they all relate to your destiny. They all relate to your high calling in Christ Jesus. In Parsha Vayigash, which we're going to study tonight in some detail, we encounter the reconciliation of, between Joseph and his brothers, and we see, the, we see the reunion between Joseph and his father Jacob. We may not get to the reunion between Joseph and Jacob tonight, but we are going to focus on the reunion between Joseph and his brothers. And as we get started with this teaching, especially as we analyze the dialogue and the interaction between Joseph and Judah. And really the interaction that's taking place is an interaction between two princes, between two kings, between two major leaders who would set the precedent for leadership throughout the future generations of Israel. And in our modern day, I, I, like, to th I like to study the great rivals in the computer information technology field, in, in the IT field. And many of you are familiar with Bill Gates from Microsoft and, and Steve Jobs from, from Apple. And you can see the contention. If you follow these two, these two men in any depth, you'd understand over the years uh, the, the rivalry that took place between Microsoft and Apple and, and the different philosophies they had in computing. And even though they were such, such strong antagonists and such major players in the IT industry, you can see how each person refined the other. And each of them, even though they mocked each other in public, they had a tremendous degree of respect for one another. And their, and their companies really had a strong influence on the other. And the reason why I bring that this out is not to teach you about IT at all, but just to, show, just to give you an idea of the interaction that took place between Joseph and Judah. In a sense, they were, they were major enemies, and at the same time, they were, they were brothers, and, and there was a strong bond that was forged between them. And tonight, sometimes God will allow contention in your life to sharpen you, to develop your character, to, to really show you what you're made of, and really develop and refine a godly character traits within you. Because God wants to ensure the success of your mission. Amen? God has, God has a calling on your life. That's why one, one of the reasons why I call this service Destined for Torah. And God wants to raise each and every one of you up as his servants, as his prophets. And, and he wants to refine your leadership skills. He wants to refine you spiritually, emotionally. He wants to refine you in every single way so that you can be used to the highest degree possible. Amen? And throughout the Bible, you're going to see similar contentions. You can see how David allowed Jonathan to ensure his success. You're going to see the contention between David and Saul. David would not have become the man of God that he was ordained to become if there were not a Saul in his life. Elisha would not have become one of the mightiest prophets in Israel's history if there were not an Elijah to impart to him. And I want you to know that sometimes God's going to allow people in your path. 
even people that you don't really admire so much. But God's going to put obstacles in your path, and, and, and sometimes these obstacles are necessary in order to propel you into your highest calling in Christ Jesus. Amen? So this again, this week's Torah portion is Parsha Vaigash. It means He approached. It consists of Genesis chapter 44, verse 18, all the way through 47, verse 27. Last week we concluded Parsha Miket, ending in Genesis 44, verse 17. Tonight we begin Parsha Vaigash, which starts in Genesis 44, verse 18, all the way through Genesis 47, verse 27. Again, the word Vaigash is a Hebrew word that means he approached. Can you imagine? And that sets the entire theme from the verses from Genesis 44, 18, all the way through 47, verse 27. The entire theme of this Torah portion is he approached. And we're going to learn how uh, we're going to learn about how Judah approached Joseph. And my prayer tonight is that God's going to God's going to develop godly character traits in you um, that are going to refine you, and He's going to teach you how to approach the glory. He, God's going to teach you how to approach various situations in your life, even the most difficult situations in your life. If your natural tendency is to is to shy away and to avoid confrontation, sometimes God's going to raise you up with a holy boldness. And put words in your in your mouth to propel you forward in your destiny, amen. So let's go ahead and get started because Joseph and Judah are going to help all of us to fulfill our mission in this life. So let's give you a little bit of background from Parsha Vaigash. Now, I'm going to talk to you about last week's Torah portion, but I I'm, but these are areas that we didn't really cover in any detail last week because I focused on different areas in Parsha Miketz last week. And what had been taken place, because last week I think we concluded with, with the interpretation of Pharaoh's dreams and the appointment of Joseph as viceroy over Egypt. And now what we're seeing here, we're seeing the ongoing famine. We are in the midst of a seven-year famine, which has really, which is bringing destruction in, in the entire world. And the ongoing famine has had serious consequences on the family of Jacob and his family. And Jacob sends his sons to Egypt to, 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 to buy grain. And so when the brothers had gone down to Egypt to buy grain from the viceroy of Egypt, they did not even know that they were interacting. They did not know they were interfacing with their own brother, Joseph. And you may ask, how could they not recognize the brother? Well, th there were different protocols of dress between the Egyptians and the Israelites. The Israelites at that time were shepherds, and they wore shepherds' clothing. In, and and they, they had beards. The Egyptian men were dressed much differently because there was a different protocol within Egypt, especially among the upper echelon of, of the Egyptians. And the, the men had short hair, they had shaven faces, and they even wore eye makeup, makeup from what I've learned from my studies. So he, he was really not recognizable. And when he spoke to his brothers, he did not speak in Hebrew, he, he spoke in Egyptian, and his translators translated what he spoke to the brothers in, in, in Hebrew. So the brothers did not suspect the viceroy of Egypt to be their brother, Joseph. And again, this is all happening by divine design. And so, th th through this confrontation that's taken place here, and Joseph fabricates a story, and, and um, he kidnaps Simon. And he tells, he tells the brothers, go back home and I will not return Simon to you until you bring back your youngest brother, Benjamin or Benjamin. And so all these events have taken place. And at the very end, just before this verse, all the brothers are present before Joseph. All 11 brothers are present before Joseph. And, and this sets the precedent for Joseph to reveal himself to his brothers where he says, I am Joseph, your brother. And so... Judah becomes infuriated because Joseph refuses to let them go. And Judah rises up and pleads passionately for Benjamin's freedom. And he even offered to take Benjamin's place. He said, you take me instead, but release Benjamin, because my father Jacob will die if I don't return back home without Benjamin. See, Joseph assumed or presumed that Joseph was dead. And Joseph was the elder son of Rachel, his second wife. And now Benjamin, who being, being the youngest and second child that he had through Rachel, is now kidnapped 
Judah assumes that if he goes back home without Benjamin, his father's going to die because now he's, he's ridden of both of his sons through Rachel. And so what Judah does is a godly bold, boldness arises in, in Judah. And that's why this Torah portion, Vayigash, means he approached. And we see the confrontation between Judah and Joseph. And as we dig in here, I want you to really understand, I really want you to feel the gravity of what's taking place here. As, Joseph, as Judah approaches Joseph, Judah is not just appointing, uh, approaching this man and challenging him for the way he's been treating his family. Judah is confronting really the most powerful man in the world. He's approaching Joseph, and he knows that everything that he says could cause him to be killed. But Judah was taking responsibility for Benjamin, and we see the heroic, the heroic nature of Judah. We see how he's taking responsibility, and we see how he's willing to even become a martyr for his family to save the life of Benjamin. And this was a quality that we see arising in Judah that really set the benchmark for all future kings in Israel that came through the bloodline of Judah. We see acts of selflessness. We see the acts of Aravut taking responsibility. We, 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 we see this quality that's within Judah that was passed down to David, to Solomon, and passed down to many of the kings of Israel. And we see these same qualities in Christ Jesus, our Messiah, who also was of the bloodline of Judah. Because one of the, the greatest qualities of Judah was taking responsibility. And even when Judah sinned, he took responsibility. Even when he performed that act with, um, with Tamar, and she was found pregnant with child, he took responsibility for Tamar and that child. Uh, and actually, she had twins within her womb. We see with David, even when he sinned with Bathsheba, he took responsibility for his sin after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan. And if you and, and if, you, if you look at many situations in David's life where he took responsibility for another, for example, when King Saul was plagued with an evil spirit, and David came before him and played the harp, and when the anointing fell, the evil spirit would depart from Saul. See what David did; he took responsibility for for, for David. I mean, he, David took responsibility for Saul. David was a descendant of Leah. Saul was a, was a descendant of Rachel. And you're going you're gonna to see these, this quality being passed down from generation to generation. And we see the ultimate demonstration of this attribute in Jesus, whom Jesus, he came to his own. His own received him not. And to those that believed in him, he gave power to become the sons of God. And Jesus, as we see in Isaiah 53, he becomes the sin offering. He takes our sins upon himself. He takes responsibility for the sins of the entire world. And he took every sin upon the cross at Calvary 2,000 years ago. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. See, God has ordained that we should all have eternal life. And Jesus took responsibility for all of us. Amen? And this, again, is a character trait that was passed down from, from Judah all the way through his, through his bloodline. Now let's look at how Judah approaches Joseph. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 44, verse 18. And I'm going to ask you to read this with me. Genesis 44, verse 18. Then Judah came near unto him and said, O my Lord, let your servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ear. And let not thine anger burn against thy servant, for you art even as Pharaoh. And you see, Judah was not afraid to take responsibility for his brothers. He was there to offer himself as the sacrificial lamb that his brothers may go free and return back into Canaan. And, and Judah comes forward and approaches the viceroy of Egypt, the most powerful man in the world, not knowing that who he was confronting was his own, his very own brother, Joseph. And then Judah approaches Joseph and says, Please, my Lord, your ser let, let your servant speak a word, for you hold the, our lives in your very hands. You are equal of Pharaoh in this regard. 
And even though my words may sound harsh, do not become angry with your servant. Do you really expect to avoid the consequences of this injustice? And, and he, he's challenging Joseph. He's challenging the viceroy saying that you're not going to get away with doing this. You have mistreated us. You've kidnapped our brother Simon. Now you've taken our brother Benjamin. And, and you, you have not kept a single word that you promised to us. You have not returned our brother Simon to us as you promised. And, and, and taking Benjamin as a prisoner was not part of our agreement. So he, he, he is confronting Joseph. He's challenging Joseph for the injustices. And, he, and he's already saying that, like Pharaoh, you are not a man of your word. And you don't mean anything that you say. And, and that, that is really the message that Judah is conveying to, to Joseph. He, and of course he says it in a more eloquent way, in a kinder way, but, but the gist of what he's saying is, like, is, is what I've shared with you here. So there are different ways that you can, avoid, that you can approach someone within a conflict. The first, one, the first way is that you come forward to press to present a case for judgment. In Deuteronomy 25, verse 1, it says, If there be a controversy between men, and they come unto judgment, and that the judges may judge them, then they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. So one way you, you can approach your antagonizer is through, is through legalities. The second way you can approach your adversary is through appeasement. And this is the, one of the ways that their father, Judah, not Judah, this is one of the ways that Jacob approached Esau after, after they, they um, reunited. And this is what we call to appease an adversary. In Joshua 14, 6, we see an example of this. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord saith unto Moses, the man of God concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. And then we see in Proverbs 15:1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Then to conclude this section, the second example to appease the adversary is from Proverbs 20, verse 5, where Solomon says, Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water but a man of understanding will draw it out. So sometimes the way, you avoid, the way that you deal with an adversary is not in terms of, of legalities and through presenting your case. The second way is through words of appeasement. The third way is what we're going to see in the way Judah dealt with Joseph. Joseph uh, Judah did not use the first two approaches. He used his own, own approach and this is where Judah knew how to go into the depths of Joseph's thinking. He knew how Joseph thought. He discerned how, how jo Joseph processed things. And, and he targeted those very areas. And he really hit Joseph's area of weaknesses. And finally, Joseph broke down in weeping and revealed his true identity to his brothers. See, Judah was in a sense able to touch the very heartstrings of Joseph. When, especially when he described the terrible sufferings that his father, uh, his father Jacob had gone through over the last 22 years. And, and he was also talking about the tremendous pain and heartache Jacob would experience if they returned back home to Canaan without Benjamin, in, in, in the, in, uh, without Benjamin with them. See, Benjamin was the 12th and youngest son of Jacob. And J Jacob had four wives, two primary wives being Leah and Rachel, and with their maidservants who who, who became um, Joseph, who became Judah, who became Jacob's wives as well, well Bilhah and Zilpah. And through through these four wives, Jacob had a t total of twelve sons. And we know we know about one daughter who was, um, uh, which we'll read about next week, I believe. So Judah. Actually, we read, a, we, uh, we read about her a couple weeks ago, I believe. And so what Joseph, what Judah does, he overcomes Joseph's coldness. See, Joseph had been very cold for the last couple of parshiot. And even w w when the brothers appear to him, Joseph is very cold and he's, 
he's hiding his true identity from his brothers. And one of the things that Joseph is doing is, Joseph is following his dreams, as we learned about last week. And he does not reveal himself to his brothers until all 11 brothers are present. As we see in Joseph's first dream, all the brothers were, were present, and all the brothers, all the sheaves bowed down to him. And what we see taking place here at the start of Parsha Vahigash, we see all the brothers present. All 12 brothers are present together in the same room. And even as, as intelligent as Joseph was, Judah was more intelligent. And Judah was able to overpower Joseph. And the type of things, as I'm going to paraphrase here, the type of things that Judah says to Joseph are, from the onset, my Lord asked his servants all, all irrelevant questions, such as, do you have a father or a brother? What provoked you to make such inquiries about our family? Were you seeking to marry our daughter? Were you seeking to marry our sister? And so Judah is challenging Joseph in, with everything that he did. I mean, asking irrelevant questions, asking about the father, asking about a younger brother. Uh, and, but Judah doesn't know at this time that it's actually Joseph, their brother, that's asking these questions. And Joseph misses Benjamin tremendously. Joseph misses his father tremendously. And that was really the, one of the reasons for the, the, the questioning of Joseph. The other thing I want you to see here is that Judah must gain the upper hand because God has ordained that the future kings of Israel, especially the messianic bloodline of kings, would come through Judah, not Joseph. And so what we're seeing here is that we're seeing the infighting between two families in Israel. And kingship will come through two different families. It could, it, it could either come through the bloodline of Leah, the, the first wife of Jacob, or through Rachel, through, 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 through her bloodline. Now, Judah was of the bloodline of Leah. Joseph is of the bloodline of Rachel. And what you'll see taking place throughout Israel's history especially through the Hebrew scriptures, is, what, is when, when one king arises from one house, from the house of Rachel, we'll see a diminishing in the, in, the, in the other household. And when we see a rising up in the house of Rachel, we'll see Leah's house diminish. When Leah's house arises, we'll see Rachel's house diminish. Does that make sense? So what we see, the first king of Israel is King Saul. King Saul is of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin is the younger son of Rachel. Both Joseph and Benjamin were brothers, sons of Rachel. So the first king of Israel is of the house of, I'm going to say the house of Rachel. But then right after the house of, after the rule of Saul, King David becomes king. And King David is of the bloodline of, of Judah, and Judah is the son of Leah. So when we, when we see Leah rising up, we see Rachel diminishing, and vice versa. But one thing that will not change is the Messianic bloodline. Especially this Friday, we celebrate Christmas, and I encourage you all to spend time in the lineage of Jesus, especially in Matthew chapter 1. And what we see in the Messianic bloodline is we see the kings of Israel, specifically of the house of Judah. And after King Solomon's reign, because King Solomon was the son of David of the bloodline of Judah, going back to Leah, what we see taking place is because Rehoboam, who, who became king after his father, King Solomon, and Re Re Rehoboam really followed some unwise counsel from, from the young men. And as a result of that, following that bad counsel, he lost most of Israel. He only retained the two southernmost tribes, Judah and Benjamin, and all the northern tribes fell under uh, King Jeroboam. And often when we see the kings of the north, because Israel at that point became split to two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the northern kingdoms from time to time in the scriptures, sometimes it's called Ephraim, other times it's called Joseph. And the southern kingdom is called Judah. 
So here we see, as you know, as we as I talked about the conflict between Judah and Joseph, we see this continual conflict between the future generations of Israel. And as you read through the books of Kings, you'll see those conflicts between the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. And you'll see, as you see the conflict here in Genesis chapter forty-four, you, it it really relates and it sets the it sets the precedence. For the, for, the, for the fighting that will take place between the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom of Israel. Because the kingdom was split into two. And we'll see how Judah continues to challenge Joseph. Genesis 44 verse 20 says, And we said unto my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, a little one, and his brother is dead. And he alone is left of his, brother, his, of his mother, and his father loveth him. And we and we and we see. I mean, Judah had already disclosed everything about uh, about their family to him. And one thing that's taken place here is even in this dialogue that's taking place, Joseph is testing his brothers. See, Joseph will not reveal his his true identity to his brothers until he has discerned that that they had fully repented of their sin of selling Joseph into slavery. And that they had repented of their wickedness. And what Joseph is doing seems very harsh. But sometimes leading a person on a path of repentance is not an easy journey. And sometimes you cannot spare the rod when you really care and love somebody's soul. And Joseph, is, Joseph knows that all of his brothers are destined to become great men of Israel. That they are a royal, that they are a royal kingdom. As children of Joseph, they, they are all 12 royal tribes. And Joseph wants to ensure the, the success of the, Abrahamic, of the Abrahamic mission. He wants to ensure that all of his brothers are, are ready for, for the kingly calling, the high calling they have as children of Abraham. And so what Joseph is doing, he's leading his brothers on a path of repentance. And this is the same way we see Jesus dealing with people when he came in his earthly ministry, that sometimes his ministry seemed very harsh, but he was leading, he was leading, he was, he was, his ministry was, was to the Lord, his ministry was to the lost tribes of Israel, and he was leading Israel back on a journey of repentance. And so as, as this dialogue continues, Joseph discerns that Judah and his brothers have completely re repented. And it gets to a point where Joseph cannot, can no longer constrain his tears. And he gets ready to reveal himself to his brothers. But be before we get there, I want to talk to you about the relationship, not only between Judah and Joseph, but between Judah and Joseph in all future generations of Israel. The conflict between the lion and the ox. Can you say that with me? The conflict between the lion and the ox. The lion, and we often hear the term lion of Judah, the lion is, is often a reference to the tribe of Judah. And the ox is usually a reference to the tribe of Joseph. Let's look at Genesis 49 verse 9. And this is when, when Jacob is given the blessing over his, over his sons. He says, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion who shall rouse him up. Deuteronomy 33, 17 also describes this. His glory is like the first lings of the bullock, and his horns are like the horns of unicorns. And with them he shall push the people together to the ends of the earth. And they are the ten thousands of the ten thousands of Ephraim, the ten thousands of Manasseh. See, Deuteronomy thirty three seventeen describes Joseph, and he's described as an ox. And in verse seventeen, we see the the tribes of Benjamin and Manasseh. These are the sons of Joseph, because Joseph's tribe received a double portion. Because at the, because Joseph, not Joseph, Jacob adopted the two sons of Joseph and these two grandsons received the rights of sons and, and, and they received an, an inheritance and a blessing from, from, from Jacob. 
And so whenever we see the oxen, whenever we see the name Joseph, we see Manasseh, we see Ephraim, it's usually alluding to the ten northern tribes of Israel. And when we see Judah, it often is a reference to, to the southern kingdom and a reference to Judah and to Benjamin. And you may ask, why are Benjamin and Judah mentioned together if Benjamin was a, was a, was a son of Rachel? And the reason is, Judah made a promise to his father, Judah, saying, I will be the guarantor. I will take responsibility for Benjamin. And so not only was Judah promising his father, Jacob, that I will be responsible for your youngest child, but he's also saying that I will, that my tribe, my descendants, will always be a protector for Benjamin. I will always protect Benjamin throughout future generations. And, and, and I'll give you an example of this. When the ten northern tribes of Israel were taken into Assyrian captivity, the ten northern tribes, which we also call the northern tribes of Israel, or we call Joseph or Ephraim, these ten northern tribes went into captivity together, but Judah and Benjamin, the two southernmost tribes of Israel, were not taken into that captivity because of the prophecy and the promise that Judah made, saying, I will be the guarantor, I will be the, t I, I will be the protector for Benjamin. So they, they, Benjamin and Judah stayed together. Then in the future, the two southernmost tribes, the southern kingdom, were taken into captivity into Babylon, led by King Nebuchadnezzar. And guess what? Benjamin and Judah went together because again, we see Judah being the guarantor for Benjamin. Let me give you one more example. Remember I told you about David and how David played the harp for King Saul? And when David played the harp for King Saul, the evil spirit that was upon King Saul left him for a season. And one thing that's taken place here, David is a son of Judah. Saul, King Saul, is a son of, 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 of Benjamin. And so what's taking place here is Benjamin is taking, I'm sorry, yeah, Judah is taking responsibility for Benjamin. David, who's of the tribe of Judah, feels responsible for the evil spirit that's upon King Saul. And, and, he, and he takes responsibility for him. No matter how badly King Saul treats him, David, whose nature is to be a guarantor as a result of spiritual DNA that was passed to him through Judah, no matter how horribly he's treated by Saul, he continues to take responsibility for him. And I want to ask you, one of the keys to your anointing is to take responsibility for somebody else. Because the anointing of the Holy Spirit will not come upon you unless you learn how to take responsibility. And that no matter, no matter how badly you're treated, you continue to take responsibility, to take ownership. See, Jesus, when he came to this earth, had never committed a single sin, but yet he became the guarantor. He became the sin offering. He took responsibility for the sins of the entire world because this is a major character quality of the tribes of, uh, of the tribe of Judah. And that is the reason why the, the bloodline of Judah was, was chosen for kingship, especially messianic kingship. And the confrontation that takes place is really a confrontation between two kings. Psalm, Psalm 48 verse 4 says, For lo, the kings were assembled, they passed by together. This, is, this psalm is, is a prophecy of the conflict, and not only the conflict, but the partnership that takes place between the lion and the ox. The partnership between Judah and Joseph. And the confrontation of these two giants was necessary for the harmony and, and, and for the strengthening of the family of Israel. Judah represents the royal tribe. Joseph represents the spiritual the spirituality in, in, in the tribe in, in Israel. And we see that the alliance between the spiritual and royalty taking place here. Because both Joseph and Judah unnecessary for the continuation of Israel. Are you all with me? Amen.
Uh, Rabbi Yonasan says, the angels themselves descended from heaven to be present at the furious combat between the lion and the ox. See, if even heaven recognizes the battle between Joseph and Judah. But this battle, this conflict is necessary to, 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 to bring about such a uniting between, ben, between Judah and Joseph that would ensure the future success of Israel. And just to summarize, you know, after Solomon's death, the kingdom was divided into two, Judah and Ephraim, southern kingdom, the southern two most tribes versus the ten northern tribes. And remember how I showed you that how Judah promised to his father, Jacob, that I will be the guarantor for Benjamin? That Hebrew word for guarantor or protector is the word arevut. The way I spell arevut is A-R-E-V-U-I-T. And we see this prophesied in Genesis chapter 43, verses 2 through 4 and 6 through 9, taken from last, last week's Torah portion from Miketz. And in verse 2 it reads, And it came to pass... When they had eaten up the corn which they had brought out of Egypt, their father said unto them, Go again, buy us a little food. And Judah spake unto him, saying, The man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, You shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy more food. And Israel said, Wherefore deal ye so ill with me? Asked to tell the man whether you had a brother. And they said, The man asked us straightly of our state and of our kindred, saying, Is your father yet alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to the tenor of these words, Could we certainly know what he would say? Bring your brother down. And Judah said unto Israel his father, Send the lad with me. We will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you, and also our little ones. I will, I will be a surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto you, and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. And what Judas said was a prophetic word, not only for what he was going to do for Benjamin, but it set the precedent but what will take place in all future generations of Israel. Because Judah will always be the guarantor for Benjamin or Benjamin. And Judah took responsibility for his younger brother Benjamin, and he was willing to risk his life despite, despite any rational considerations. And King Mashiach, Christ Jesus himself, also following that character trait of being a guarantor from Judah, Christ Jesus willingly laid down his life for all of mankind. And so, the, 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 those are a couple things I want to share with you about the, uh, and this is actually really the bulk of tonight's teaching. But another quality that we see in Joseph, in, in, I'm sorry, in Judah, is selflessness. And, and we see that in the way he, he's willing to be a martyr. And we see Messiah, Christ Jesus, the Messiah, possesses both roles. We see Christ Jesus like Judah in the sense of being the guarantor and to be the, sin, to be the sacrificial lamb and to be willing to lay his life down for everybody. And then we also see Jesus like Joseph because what we see in Joseph's position as viceroy over Egypt, that really personifies the second coming of Christ Jesus. And now we're going to see how Joseph decides to disclose his identity to his brothers. Let's go to Genesis chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all of them that stood by him. And he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known to his brethren. See, Joseph did not want to shame his brethren. So he, he sent all the Egyptians out of the room and then he revealed himself to his brothers I want to give you a word that I believe is a prophetic word because Joseph at this point as viceroy really personifies the second coming of Christ Jesus and after the rapture takes place God's attention is going to turn completely towards Israel 
and God's going to reveal in, in, the, in the midst of the tribulation period, Christ Jesus, the Messiah, is going to reveal himself to Israel. But I don't believe Jesus is going to shame Israel. Just as Joseph sent the Egyptians out of the room to, so that he would not shame his brothers, I believe that Christ Jesus, is, is, is a rapture is going to take place where the church is going to be taken out of the way so that Jesus can reveal himself to Israel without bringing shame upon them. See, that's one of the qualities of, uh, of God, of holiness. And one of the qualities that we see here in Joseph is that he does not want to bring shame to another. And Jesus does not want to bring any shame to Israel. And just as Joseph did not reveal himself to his brothers without removing the Egyptians, I, I think likewise Jesus will reveal himself to Israel after the church is taken out of the way. And look at what Joseph says. Joseph says, he says, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? Can you imagine the shock? Can you imagine the shock that takes place? I mean, when all the brothers realize that this is Joseph, our brother, the one that we sold into slavery, the one that we lied about. I mean, it's just shocking to see. I mean, that is probably the, the, the most horrifying rebuke one could receive. When they, he doesn't say that I'm your brother that you sold into slavery. He says, I'm Joseph. Is my father yet alive? And then in Genesis 45, 2, it says, He wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. And he broke out into a loud weeping. You know, where else do we see weeping taking place? Remember I said that the life of Joseph also personifies the ministry of Jesus. John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus says, Jesus wept. That's the shortest verse in the entire Bible. Jesus wept. And in Genesis 45, verse 3, And Joseph said to his brethren, I am Joseph. Does my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. Can you imagine the shock of Israel when Yeshua, the Messiah, reveals himself as the Messiah to, to them? And Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Monk says, in one of his commentaries, and he says this, he says, Woe to us on the day of judgment. Woe to us on the day of rebuke. If the brothers were so dismayed that they were unable to answer Joseph's rebuke, and Hugh as after all only their younger brother, what will it be like on the day of the final judgment, when the Holy One, blessed be He, will demand an, an account from every human being. I'm telling you, it's going to be so, so shocking on that day when Christ Jesus reveals himself. And then look at what Jesus says. I'm going to jump back and forth between what Jesus says and what we read about Joseph. Mark chapter 14, verse 28 and 62. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. Verse 62. And Jesus said, I am... And you shall know the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power coming in the clouds of heaven. See, that second coming of Christ is not for the Christian believer that was saved before, before the rapture. The, because we're going to be caught up to meet Christ in the, in the sky at the time of the rapture. When we're going to be caught up to meet Him in the sky. When we see Christ Jesus coming down in the clouds of glory, that's speaking about his second coming, and that is where Jesus is going to reveal himself to, to Israel. And there are strong parallels between the way Joseph revealed himself to his brothers and the way Jesus is going to reveal himself to his own brethren. See, when Jesus came in his earthly ministry, his ministry was not to the Gentiles. His ministry was only to the lost tribes of Israel. It was only after the resurrection that he appointed his disciples to not only minister in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. Because salvation is for the Jew first, and then for the Gentile. And, and Jesus' ministry, when he came, his ministry was, I mean, he is the true Messiah of Israel. But he is the Messiah of Israel first, then the Messiah of the entire world. And, and the, Messian, the Messianic expectations 
of the Gentile world is different than the Messianic expectations of the, of the Jewish world. Amen? Because we need to understand the two ministries of the Messiah. And for 22 years, the brothers, the 11 brothers, actually the 10 brothers, because Benjamin was not involved in the sale of Joseph. For 22 years, the brothers felt that they were justified in selling their, their brother Joseph into slavery. They absolutely believed that Joseph deserved to be sold into slavery. They thought Joseph was worthy of the, of the death penalty, and they were fully justified in their minds that, that Joseph was not worthy to be an heir of the Abrahamic covenant. But what we see taking place here in Parsha Ba'igash, in the portion that means he approached, is that we see a complete repentance taking place. And as soon as the brothers have repented of their, of their wickedness, Joseph reveals himself and says, I am Joseph. See, Joseph doesn't say, I'm the one that you sold into slavery. Joseph doesn't say that I'm the one that you have mistreated. All Joseph says is, I am Joseph. And those words alone were the strongest rebuke that the brothers could ever receive. And, and if, it, if, if the judgment were that strong through Joseph to his brothers, imagine how much stronger it's going to be when Christ Jesus, the Messiah, reveals himself to all of Israel. And imagine what Peter felt after he forsook his, his, his Messiah. Alright, so let's go to Genesis 45, verse 14. Joseph fell on Benjamin's shoulders. See, everything that's taken place is prophetic, and it speaks about what, what will happen in future generations. The confrontation, the adversity, the uniting between Joseph and Judah is something that will repeat in all future generations of Israel. And now what we see in Genesis 45, verse 14, we see that Joseph falls upon Benjamin's shoulders. It reads, And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck, and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. See, we, we read this as, isn't it beautiful? We're seeing the reuniting of two brothers. Two brothers that, who had not seen each other in 22 years are finally reuniting. The only two sons of Joseph are now together. Isn't that beautiful? You know, they are reuniting, but what's taking place is also prophetic. And the reason why they are weeping on each other's necks is, or shoulders, is that each of them saw prophetically that the first temples were destined to fall. We, we see the temple in, in Shiloh was on Joseph's territory. And we see the first two temples in Jerusalem that stood in Benjamin's territory. So they're weeping on each other's necks. Because what they, they, uh, pr what they see prophetically is the destruction of future, future tabernacles and, te and temples on their respective properties. Now let's look at Joseph's dragons, uh, not dragons, let's, let's look at Jacob's wagons. Let's turn to Genesis 45 verse 21 through 23. I want you to see what's taking place here even, even beyond what you see on the surface reading of the text. And we're just about done here tonight. And the children of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the commandment of Pharaoh and gave them provision for the way. To all of them he gave each man changes of raiment. But to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of raiment. And to his father he sent after this manner 10 donkeys laden with the good things of Egypt and 10 donkeys laden with corn and bread and meat for his father, by the way. And so what we see, all this stuff being sent and, and being brought into Egypt. And, and what this symbolizes here, it's just more than showing that we have all this tremendous wealth and all this wealth that we're giving you. What's taking place here is that all the wealth that's being brought, and Jacob even brought the trees of Canaan with him back into Egypt, because these trees that were, were to be grown would, would be the wood that would be used to build the tabernacle in the wilderness. See, we all know that in the 40 years sojourn in the wilderness, and in the first year they built the tabernacle, and, and, and all the cedars and all the wood that was used in the building of the, uh, of the Ark of the Covenant, and the building of, the, uh, of all the furnishings in the tabernacle, and the building of all, all, all the wood furnishings. Well, guess what? All that wood 
was prepared through the trees that Ju that that Ju that Jacob brought back into Egypt. See, every, all all that's taken place here in Genesis forty five verses twenty one through twenty three are the preparations for the building of the tabernacle in the wilderness, because the the true purpose of wealth is to build God's temple, is to build God a holy tabernacle, is 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 to take care of God's ministries. Amen. That is the true purpose of wealth. And as I conclude here, you know, we talked about the conflict, the conflict between Judah and Joseph. We see the same conflict taking place in first century Palestine. And we see Jesus in his earthly ministry, much of his earthly ministry was in the Galilee. And we, there's a contention between the Jews in the northern kingdom of Israel versus the Jews in the southern part of Israel. And the, the, there, was a, there, was a, there was a bit of prejudice between both groups. And the Jews of the south in Jerusalem looked at the Jews in the Galilee as, as being unlearned. And we'll see examples of this. Look at Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. And this is at the time of Pentecost. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when, his, now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because every man heard them speak in his own language. This is Pentecost. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? See, the, the Jews in Jerusalem, and even many of the Jews around the world, are really, in a sense, mocking the Galilean Jews. They're saying, like, how, how can... How can all these men of Galilee speak like Peter and all the apostles? How can they speak in such incredible ways? And how can they speak our languages? And how can they be so articulate, articulate in God's word? Aren't these men which speak Galileans? See, it's in a sense what's taking place is the, the Jews of the southern kingdom of the south of Judah are mocking the Jews of the north representing Joseph. And then in Matthew 26 verse 69 it says... Now Peter sat without in the palace, and the damsel came unto him, saying, You also was with Jesus of Galilee. See, I call tonight's teaching pride, prejudice, and Torah, because I want you to see that in the midst of this contention, we, 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 we see this prejudice taking place. And the prejudice that we see that goes all the way back to Egypt, and that continues through the, king, through the nation of Israel, in the split between the northern and, and southern tribes, and, and again, we see in, in, the, in the early part of the New Testament where we see this conflict between the, the North and the South and this contention that never really seems to go away. And in John chapter 1, where Jesus says he, that he came unto his own and his own received him not. You know, Jesus was seen as one that was of the North because he lived in the Galilee. And much of his ministry was around, the, uh, was around Capernaum. And so when he says that he came unto his own, it also means that he would come down to Jerusalem. He would come down into the southern tribes. And he would come to his own, but his own received him not. And so that's one thing I want to see to share with you. And back to pride, prejudice, and Torah. You know, we see, we see prejudice in, in the early dealings between the brothers, uh, between the twelve, between the, the children of J Jacob. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 37, verse 2. And this is the first Torah portion that we read about of Joseph. And it says, These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding with the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. His father's wives. See, I want you to see here, Look at who Joseph is with. He's not with the sons of Leah. He's with the sons of the concubines. He's with the sons of the secondary wives of Jacob, being Bilhah and, and Zilpah. So even when, within the family, we're seeing a preference, we're seeing a prejudice taking place here, and Joseph is being rejected He's not being rejected by all the brothers as we assume, as we normally assume. He's only being rejected by the sons of Leah. And at this time, and, and there's only there's only two sons of Rachel, 
himself, Joseph, and Benjamin, and Benjamin was probably just a child. Uh, but what we see here is that we, we, we see Joseph being discriminated against. And, and, and we see Joseph being rejected. And even after their father, J Jacob, died, the brothers fabricated a story and, and told Joseph that this, our father said, t told us to tell you this. And we'll talk about that next week. But we can see that the brothers never fully trust Joseph. And even in Christ Jesus' ministry, we never see Jesus being fully accepted by his brethren. And, this, and, and the, we see this rejection being carried on. And, and, and we see almost like a class system taking place within Jacob's family. And we see a family dysfunction taking place here. And we, and we see how the, 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 the brothers of Joseph uh, don't accept him. They treat him like he is the child of one of the secondary wives of Judah. So that's, that's the first prejudice I want you to see. Now let's look at a second prejudice. Look at Genesis 37 verse 3. It says, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. Now, what I want you to see here, I want you to see this verse, not from the perspective of Israel or Jacob, but I want you to see this from the perspective of the ten other sons of Jacob. So all the sons, excluding Joseph and Benjamin. It looks like Jacob is showing preferential treatment of Joseph, and naturally the other brothers feel rejected, like my father loves Joseph more than, than us. So we, 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 again, we see, we see some prejudice. And then again, we see another prejudice in Genesis 43, verse 32. Look, and this is what he, this, and, and it says, And they set on for him by himself, being Joseph, and for them by themselves. So we see Joseph sitting separately from the other sons of Jacob. And the Egyptians eat by them on one, on one side, and the Israelites eat separately on a separate table. Because the Egypt, and as we read the latter part of verse 32, because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews, but that is an, an abomination unto the Egyptians. So what we see here, there's already discrimination, and we see how the Egyptians don't, they really despise the Israelites. And then in Genesis 46, verses 31 through 40, sorry, Genesis 46, 31 through 34, we, we learn more about the discrimination here. And we learn that one of, the, one of the reasons why the Israelites were so despised in the eyes of the Egyptians was because the Israelites were shepherds. And, 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 the, and the shepherds raised, raised sheep. Well, guess what? The sheep were animals that were worshipped by the Egyptians. So that was another reason for that discrimination. So when you read God's Word, you know, that we, 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 it's a, the Bible is a book about destiny. It's about purpose. It's about character refinement. It's about bringing you into your highest calling in Christ Jesus. It's about raising you up to become prophets. And it's also to teach you how to recognize the human condition and to recognize pride, to recognize prejudice, and, and, and to handle these situations from the perspective of the Torah. And even during this Christmas season, how do we treat one another? And do we, do we look down on other people because we think they're of a lower social class than we are? You know, any, every place in the world that I've visited, I have seen different classes of people. And whether we, whether we have or, or have not a class system like, like some countries in the world, regard, we, every place I've been, we see some sort of class system. And sometimes it's just between the haves and the have-nots. And my prayer today is that, that we recognize pride that we recognize prejudice and that we really learn how to overcome that pride and prejudice. And Joseph teaches us how to overcome pride and prejudice because there's no place for it in God's kingdom, but we really must learn how to see each other's strengths and how in, in, in the Northern and Southern Kingdom that when, when, when there was a uniting, there was a tremendous glory that was released. When Judah and Joseph reunited, it really strengthened the family of Israel. And when, and when, you, when you see the Jews of the Northern, of the northern Kingdom and the, and the Jews of the Southern Kingdom, or should I say between the Jews of, of, of Galilee and the Jews of Jerusalem, 
And, and, and if you bring these two groups together, you will see such a beauty in, in, in the Jewish faith. Amen? Because it, it was in the Galilee that we saw miracles. It was in the Galilee that, that we saw the wonder-working power of God. It, it was in the Galilee that we saw the open manifestation of God's miracles. Amen? And then in Jerusalem, we, 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 we see the biblical feast. In Jerusalem, we see the establishment of proper doctrine. Amen? And so what I encourage you tonight is really during this season, is just really to embrace one another and to embrace each other's differences and really to embrace what God has for each one of us. Amen? Because we are all part of God's church. We are all part of an end-time ministry. And, we're, we're, and we are very soon, we are going to experience the rapture.